0: Bless you and greet you in the name of Jesus again this evening. I want to greet you with the words of Joshua in Joshua 24, verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that, that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What's right about Joshua's statement there? Or about Joshua? Let me read it again. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord choose you this day whom ye will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord What's right about his statement or about his about Joshua here Commitment? Commitment? Yes, excellent. He made the right choice. He made the right choice. I think that's very important. He followed through in his commitment. The thing that's outstanding to me here is that Joshua knew where he stood and why. I'm going to challenge us tonight with that thought. Do you know where you stand and why? Let's stand and sing our song again this evening one last time.
1: What I say and what I do. (laughs) What I say and what I do, may it be a joy to you want me to I love you Lord Jesus I love you with all my heart and, and I'll always pray I will be like you are more and more each day. <coughs> every day and every night help me Lord to do what's right I'll serve you with all my might I love you Lord Jesus I love you with all my heart and I'll always pray I will be like you are more and more each day thank you for the love you show thank you for the joy I've known make my heart your very own I love you Jesus. I love you with all my heart and I'll always pray. I will be like you are more and more each day.
0: Thank you. You may be seated. I trust that will continue to be a commitment, an ongoing experience for you in your life. The other day if I have probably told this to some of you. I don't remember who or which, but I think I told the story here at least once. You know, you tend to tell stories over and over again the older you get, I guess. But it's a story that illustrates what I, a point I want to make this evening. <clears throat> this has to do with the, Russian Mennonites, or the, the Mennonites living in, in Poland back in 1939. Before that time, uh, Poland had been Prussia, which was actually a part of Greater Germany. The geography, the uh, uh, lines in the countries of Europe changed from time to time over the century there. So there's different different times. But that was a German-speaking territory, Prussia. And there was Mennonite farmers moved up there and lived there. And it's in the area between Warsaw and the Baltic Sea in northern Poland today. Uh, and they were successful there. They had farms. They had uh, businesses. They had... Uh, homes they had churches their church houses are still there by the way you can still go and see their church houses that they built and used back in those days when hitler sent his armies across the uh, the armistice line between germany and poland in 1939 he marched to uh, warsaw captured warsaw in about eight days and declared that part of poland germany these german-speaking farmers uh, mennonites welcomed hitler They were pleased that now we're a German-speaking country again. See, they used to be before it was Poland. And now when when Hitler took over that area and declared it a part of Germany, now it was German-speaking again. They came home. They actually sent a letter. This is documented. They sent a letter to Hitler welcoming him and him taking over the territory. And Hitler was glad for their support. And I don't think he would have often responded to letters he received but he did respond to that one he sent a message back to them and he thanked them for their support but he said i want your young men for my army they had a decision to make some of them sold out and moved on further east in what's ukraine today many of them stayed and later on their young men became a part of the ss troops that sort of thing, became involved in the Nazi war machine and they lost out. Their churches are empty, their witness is gone, they've been long gone from that area. I want to ask you, what is wrong with that picture? It's a true story. What's wrong with that picture? They chose wrongly, yes. They didn't know what they stood for? They did not know what they stood for. I think that's true. Well, they 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 were well when they were tested, they didn't hold the line. No. No. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lesson for us. I've often thought about our situation here. We live in Lancaster County, so I don't relate much to here. But in Lancaster County, I wonder what would happen if the Russian armies come marching through Lancaster County and do what they're doing in Ukraine right now. I wonder what we'd do. Honestly, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I'd like to think we'd stand for truth. I'd like to think we'd stand for what we believe, what we say we believe. And yet when push comes to shove, when the test is on us, I wonder what would happen. I really wonder. wonder. My question for all of us tonight is, where do you stand? And what do you believe and why? We live in a time when many people don't really know what they believe. They don't really have to know what they believe. My question to you, so what do you believe about social, uh, about, (laughs) uh, sorry. (laughs) That's, I, I didn't mean that at all. About social drinking. What do you believe about social drinking? Social dancing, yoga, the devotional covering, the head covering. What do you believe about that? What do you really believe? What do you believe about infant baptism, war involvement, voting? What do you stand? Where do you stand? What do you really believe and why? I'm concerned that our people today don't really know what they believe and why. I'm really concerned. I think we have a lot of good things going. And yet I think there's needs that we're not really thinking about. The early Christians, according to Steve Russell in his book, uh, Overcoming Evil with Good, or Overcoming Evil, uh, he says the early Christians in the first several centuries of Christianity from the time of Christ until Constantine, they were noted for three things, non-resistance, non-conformity, and non-accumulation. Non-resistance, non-conformity, and non-accumulation. Non-accumulation partly because they were constantly on the run. They were persecuted. They had to pack up their bags and go somewhere else. Persecution during the the first centuries there was most of the time spotted. It was here and there. There was only two times out of the ten waves of persecution that it was empire-wide. But most of the time it was different areas. And so you moved to another area because you needed to. And so you didn't have much. (laughs) You couldn't accumulate a whole lot. So today, you know, we talk about non-resistance and we work at it. I think we have a fairly good handle on that. I think we do. We talk about non-conformity. Do we really believe it? Are we there? I think we are. And yet, are we? Non-accumulation? We've thrown that out the window. We don't even know what that is. I'm not saying we need to go back to there, but I'm, my question again is: What do you stand? Where do you stand? Why do you believe? And why do you really know? In 1 Kings 17, Elisha—I'm sorry, Elijah—was on Mount Carmel. There, all the prophets of Baal were there, and Ahab was there. It says in 1 Kings 18, verse 21, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, "How long help ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal be, if 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 Baal, then follow him." And the people answered him, "What? Not Not a word." Why? What's wrong with that? Is that wrong? I think it was wrong. The people lived in wickedness for so long, they no longer knew where they stood. They really didn't. And when he put the question to them, they didn't say anything. They didn't say anything. And I think many times, or at least sometimes, we find ourselves the same way. Someone puts a question to us What do we say? Where do we stand? What do we really believe? Joshua said, if for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He drew some lines in his life. He knew what he believed and why. And I would encourage us, especially young people, draw lines in your life. This is true for all of us. But young people, starting out in your career, on your, your journey with God, and young married and so on, what do you really believe about different issues? Think about what God says in his word. Think about what you've been taught draw lines in your life this is where I stand this is what I will do and sometimes we draw lines and they're not you know you may draw a line where somebody else does not and vice versa and that's okay that's understandable but if we draw lines it's somewhere where God can start working with us because sometimes he tells us to change our lines I think that happens our lines aren't going to be divine. You know, we're not divinely inspired. We're, we're human. And so we draw lines where we think is right, according to Scripture and so on. And yet sometimes we get revelation, we get light, and we say, well, our line maybe should change a little bit. But too often we don't draw any lines. We just go. We just go. <laughs> we go with the flow, whatever the flow does. I want to challenge you. Where do you stand? What do you stand on and Why? Are you like Joshua? Do you really believe what you uh, stand on what you believe? And are you, do you know what you believe and why? Are you like the people here in Elijah's day? They didn't say a word. To me, that's a challenge as I think about all these things. This has been an issue since the beginning of time. Turn to 1 Corinthians 9. I want to point something out here that I think is very useful for us in going forward. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse, uh, oh, let's break in on uh, 23. The Apostle Paul writing here, and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Verse 24, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they that do it obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep my body under, I keep my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. There's four steps here. Four steps. Verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? The overall objective here is to run in the race, to run in the race, and get the prize. That's the objective. In order to achieve an objective, you have to maintain priorities. Some things are going to be important, some things are not. If your objective is to run a 5K, you're going to practice. You're going uh, to do some things to get ready for it. One of your priorities is to build up a running schedule. Practice running, right? And that's in verse 25. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. You change your schedule in order to meet your priorities. Now they that do it, they they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. My cousin was at one time the world champion canoer, whatever that meant. (laughs) He was a world champion canoer, and he was also a a champion wrestler. When he was wrestling in high school, he wrestled in two different uh, weight categories, You can imagine the challenge that was for him. So when he was wrestling in the lighter weight category, you know what he would do? He'd stand in the shower and run in place for a long time to lose weight. So he was light enough to wrestle in the light category. And I remember I talked to him. I said, do you eat any dessert? No, he said, I haven't eaten cake for weeks, for months. And so his priorities uh, he arranged his priorities in such a way that he could achieve his objective of wrestling in certain categories. Okay, So you have objectives, then you have priorities. Verse 26 then, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. So here we have a schedule. First you have objectives, then you have priorities, then you have a schedule that helps you achieve your priorities. If you're going to practice, you run in a 5K, then you have to make a schedule and say, well now, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm going to practice running. You make a schedule, so it happens. And then you have daily disciplines. Verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. Can you put those four words up here for me? You have objectives, you have priorities, you have a schedule, and you have discipline. This applies to our Christian life. It applies to anything you want to do. It applies to uh, issues we face. It applies to our family life. It applies to our personal lives. It applies to school. It applies to young people, old people. There's these four four words. Could you keep them up there? Oh yeah, there they are. Objectives, priorities, schedule, discipline. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. We'll see the same thing again. Someday I'd like to meet the Apostle Paul and just have a long visit with him. Wouldn't that be awesome? What a man. What a man. What a man of God. In Philippians chapter 3, again, we have these four words, starting in verse 9, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 10. What is that in verse 10? What would you say is his objective in verse 10? That I may know him. So what is his priority in verse 11 and 12? Okay? If by any means, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, that's my priority. That means if something comes along, detracts me away from knowing him, I won't go there. Right? You follow that? Priorities. First you have an objective, then I may know him. Then he says, if by any means I might attain... Whatever it takes, I want to do whatever is, is, is important in order to know him. What's his schedule in verse 13? What's behind, forward. On a regular basis. You know, Satan brings things up that in the past. They're done. They're finished. They're, you know, we've dealt with them. But he has ways of bringing them up. Or, you know, things bump along and, and we, we, we get distracted with things. He says, I'm going to forget those things. I'm going to, on a daily basis, I'm going to, that's my schedule. Something comes up. It doesn't fit the schedule. It won't happen. I'm going to bump it off the schedule. It's not going to happen. What's his daily discipline then in Verse 14. I press toward. Every day I press toward with all my heart. C- can you see what I'm saying here? Now you could put whatever words you wanted to here. I chose objective, priority, schedule, and dis- discipline. I chose those words. That's not divine, but that's just the words I'm using to kind of to try to make a point here, to, to help us understand what's going on here. But this applies to our lives. We need to make objectives. And we need to have objectives. And then we need to make, have priorities that help us achieve those objectives. Then we need to make a schedule that help us maintain our priorities. Then we need to have daily disciplines that help us keep our schedule. This applies to school, applies to our homes, applies to church, applies to our personal lives, applies to every area of our life. It helps us know where we stand and why. It helps us know what we believe and why. Very important. Any comments? Does this make sense? Okay. (laughs) You're just looking at me. (laughs) I'm just wondering. (laughs) Okay. I know you're thinking, which is good, which is very good. But remember, these are concepts that we get from Scripture, and I think they're very important concepts for us when we think of the the overall scheme of things and we think of of accomplishing uh, things for God in our lives. If we just bump along and we say, well, whatever comes next, you know, we're going to do, we'll probably never accomplish a whole lot. Not in our personal life, not in business, not for God. But if we, if we establish objectives, I want, to, I want to read the Bible through this year. Or I want to memorize the first five chapters of Revelation. Or I, I want to, you know, whatever it is your, your goals are, spiritual goals, maybe business goals. You know, you have business goals. You want to do certain things, and so you establish a, a way for that to happen. But if we just bump along and think it's going to happen somehow, it probably won't. Those who aim for nothing will hit dead center every time. You get that? Those who aim for nothing will hit dead center every time. But if we aim for something under God's direction, we'll accomplish much for God's purposes. We really will. Turn with me also to Jeremiah 35. The concept is also in the Old Testament. Jeremiah prophesied in the land of Judah toward the end of their time in Israel. In fact, he was was there when Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem and destroyed the kingdom. He was there with the remnant that stayed behind and was taken by them as a kid. He was kidnapped by the remnant and taken to Egypt against his will. Uh, He was there at the very end. And in his time here in Jeremiah 35, This is a story that happened toward the end. Very interesting story. I'm going to read the entire chapter. The word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go unto the house of the Rechabites, and speak unto them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jaazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, and his brethren, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igladiah, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, which was above the chamber of Maasiah, and the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. And I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites pots full of wine and cups, and I said unto them, Drink ye wine. But they said, We will not drink wine. We will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. Neither shall ye build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any. But all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land where ye be strangers." Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he hath charged us, to drink no wine in all our days. We, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in. Neither have we vineyard, nor field, nor seed, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, Come, and let us go to Jerusalem, for fear of the army of the Chaldeans, and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwelt in Jerusalem. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction to hearken to my words, saith the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For unto this day they drink none, but obey their, father, their father's commandments. Notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye hearken not unto me. I have sent also, unto you, sent also unto you all my servants the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Return ye now every man from his evil way, and amend your doings, and go not after other gods to serve them. And ye shall dwell in the land which I have given to you and to your fathers, but ye have not inclined your ear, nor hearkened unto me. Because the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them, but this people hath not hearkened unto me. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the evil that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken unto them, but they have not heard, and I have called unto them, but they have not answered like the people in Elijah's day. They have not answered. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he hath commanded you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. What do you think of that story? In what way? Commitment. Commitment? What else? What they, and they did. Do you have any idea how long before this John Adab had given these commandments? Years. Exactly right. For my information, it's 242 years. 242 years. How many generations That's at least eight or nine, maybe more. Now let me ask you, was what he was asking his family to do unusual in Israel? And in what way? Was was it unusual in Israel to not drink wine? Yes, it was. What other things are unusual about this, about what he required of them? no houses no fields anything else it was unusual they were odd in their society they were they didn't fit in because why? Because Grosdorio said we shouldn't. Right? Was there any, any religious connotations with what he required of them? Let me say it this way. Would it have been wrong for them to drink wine in their culture, in their lives? No. No. It would have been probably done. I don't know. And yet because he asked them not to, they refrained. They abstained for 242 years. I'm just amazed by this story every time I look at it and read it. So let's look at these words. What was his objective for his family? in Jeremiah 35 here. Find it. What was his objective for them? Actually, he goes backwards here. Well you think about, it, let's turn back to Second Kings 10. And look at the the beginning of this story. 2 Kings 10. This is a time when the northern northern Israel, which was always wicked, was being purged of their wicked king and Jehu came along. Jehu was anointed to be king by Elisha and Jehu was called told to go and and slay the entire household of Ahab all the males of Ahab's house were to be killed that was Jehu's charge when he was anointed king and in 2nd Kings 10 he's in the process it says in verse 18 and Jehu gathered all the people together and said unto them I'm sorry Uh, uh, back a little further this is Jehu now in verse 12. And he arose and departed and came to Samaria and as, he was at the shearing of, and as he was at the shearing house in the way, Jehu met with the brethren of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, Who are ye? And they answered, We are the brethren of Ahaziah, and we go down to salute the children of the king and the children of the queen. He said, Take them alive. And they took them alive and slew them at the pit of the shearing house, even two and forty men, neither left he any of them. This is now Ahab's descendants. And verse 15, when he was departed thence, this is Jehu now, he lighted upon Jehanadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he saluted him and said to him, Is thine heart right as my heart is with thy heart? And Jehanadab said, It is. If it be, give me thine hand. He gave him his hand and he took him up in his chariot. And he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in his chariot. This is Jonadab now, Jonadab himself, the forefather that commanded his family. And when he came to Samaria, he slew all that was remained unto Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed him according to the saying of the Lord which he spake to Elijah." Verse 18, And Jehu gathered all the people together and said unto them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu shall serve him much. Now therefore call unto me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests, let none be wanting, for I have a great sacrifice to do to Baal. Whosoever shall be wanting, he shall not live. But Jehu did it in subtly, to the intent that he might destroy the worshippers of Baal. Jonadab was with him in this. And Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. And they proclaimed it. And Jehu sent through all Israel and all the worshipers of Baal came so that there was not a man left that came not. And they came into the house of Baal and the house of Baal was full from one end to another. Had this grand party for Baal. Everybody, every Baal worshiper was to come and they came according to the record. And he, Jehu, said unto him that was over the vestry, Bring forth vestments for all the worshippers of Baal. He brought them forth vestments. And Jehu went, and Jehanadab, the son of Rechab, into the house of Baal, and said unto the worshippers of Baal, Search and look that there be here with you none of the servants of the Lord, but the worshippers of Baal only. And when they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offering, Jehu appointed fourscore men without, 80 soldiers, and said, If any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escape, he that letteth him go, his life shall be for the life of him. And it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains go in and slay them let none come forth and they smote them with the edge of the sword and the guard and the captains cast them out and went to the city and the house of Baal and they brought forth the images out of the house of Baal and burned them and they break down the image of Baal and break down the house of Baal and made it a draught house unto this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. What an event. Wow. Jehu started well. I'm sorry to say the next verse though. Hearken from the sins of Jeroboam, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Jehu departed not after them, to wit the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. So Jehu started well. He did what was right. He was to cleanse the land of Ahab, cleanse the land of Baal worshipers. He was to give them a new start and he did. His right hand man was who? Jonadab. Right there. Right there. Jehu said, see my zeal for the Lord. And Jonadab was right with him. And I think it must have been an exciting time for Jonadab. But Jonadab was a man of God. He knew what he believed and why. He stood for something. And he believed it. And he taught others to stand for it. He saw Jehu compromising. And Israel gradually slipped back into their sinful ways. This is a northern, northern nation, northern part of Israel called Israel. As separate from Judah. So that's the beginning of the story here in Jeremiah 35. Jonadab saw what was happening in Israel. He saw the apostasy. He saw the compromise. He saw where things were going. He said to his family, Turn back to Jeremiah 35. What was his objective? I want, you to, I want you to live many days in the land. He knew what God had said to the prophets. If my people are wicked, I'm going to deport you and take you to a foreign country. You won't, you'll be die in your foreign land. He knew what God said that. And we saw the people getting wicked. He knew his family was going to be affected by it as well. He said, I want you to live many days in the land. So what did he do? That was his objective. What did he do for their priority? Verse 7. You're thinking and looking. That's great. (laughs) Verse 7. What was the priority for them in order to achieve the objective of living many days in the land? Well, he said, all your days you shall what? Dwell in tents. Why that? How's a tent dweller different from a house dweller? He's mobile. He can move around. Yeah. When there's trouble one place, you go someplace else. You know, when, when the enemy comes here, you can go someplace else. If weaknesses wickedness is here, you can go where there's righteousness. You know, you can move around. That was his priority. He didn't tell them how to do it. He just said, that's your priority. Your objective is to live many days in the land. Your priority is to live in tents. What was his schedule for them? Verse 6 and 7. It was a list here, wasn't it? You shall drink no wine, neither build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any. That was his schedule for them. What was his daily discipline for them? Verse 6. See, he's going backwards here. (laughs) Drink Drink no wine. He knew that if his family would not drink wine, it would impact them in all those other ways eventually it was one package you see what I mean it was one package now when he did this was he giving them new commandments from God no but what was he doing He was. He was. And in Drawing Lines of the Sand, he created a different culture for his family from all the rest of Israel. You understand? He created a different culture from all the rest of Israel for his family. And the amazing thing is, for 242 years, they were obedient. They followed it. They did it. They followed, they realized the objective and they followed the priorities that helped them achieve the objective. They followed the schedule that helped them follow the priorities and they did the daily discipline that kept them on track. I'm amazed, I'm totally amazed and so inspired by this story. Did this, by, by not living, by living intense? did that mean they were more righteous than the others? No, no. But it did set them apart. They were their own subculture within the land of Israel, and actually, they kind of made made an apology to Jeremiah, in uh, in verse uh, eleven. They were in Jerusalem here. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had overrun the land, okay, and these people were mobile; they could move around with their flocks and herds and tents and so on. And so, when 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 the armies came to the land, they came to Jerusalem for protection, not that they lived there. But he they said. It came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came unto the land that we said, come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans. So they moved in order to protect themselves. They were able to do that because they were mobile. And so they sort of made an apology there to Jeremiah for being in Jerusalem. I think they felt maybe a little embarrassed because their, their, their father might not have, might not have done that, I don't know. But they were obedient, they, were, they followed what he said. And I just want to point out how... Uh, God blessed their obedience to their father to their to their forefather God put a special blessing on him he said in in uh, through the prophet Jeremiah thus saith the Lord of hosts the God of Israel because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done according unto all that he hath commanded you therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts the God of Israel Jonadab the son of Recab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever According to that, they're still descendants of the Rechabites today. According to that, I don't know who they are. But uh, again, I just want to point out how he created a culture for his family. It didn't make him more holy, didn't make him more righteous, didn't get him any closer to God. But it's a protection for them. Because when the armies came, the enemy armies came, they could move around. They were protected. They didn't lose their assets. They took them with them. You know? And they, they didn't have fields, or, you know, barley fields, wheat fields to lose. They just took their assets with them. It created a, a means for them to, to be faithful to God and, and withstand the pressures of, of the evil, the idol worship of the day. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? There's different ways. We could look at it, I guess. And I'm gonna make a few applications which I think are appropriate, but I'm not divine. And so I would just encourage us to consider what does God have in in this for us? But I believe today, culture comes in packages. It really does. We, as a people, have a culture. We do things not because they get us to heaven, not because it makes us more holy or righteous or better than anybody else, but because it's who we are. When I was a boy growing up, we had black cars. That was our culture. You know, we don't have those anymore. But we do things in our culture because it's who we are. And if you want to be successful in our culture, there are certain things you do. There are certain things you're forced to do because it's the culture, right? Is it unpleasant? No. It's who we are. It's what culture is. Culture is a place of, it, we, where we can rest. We can find network. We can find uh, security, even. We can find friendship. We can find a place to be, a place to belong. But the thing is, when a people changes culture, when a people change culture, they forget that culture comes in packages. You can say, well, I will take one thing of another culture. But can you escape all of the culture? No. No. Eventually you're going to do all the culture. When, when you go from one culture to another you're you it, it comes in a package. And I want to challenge you with this thought. Culture come in packages. And the more we assimilate to other cultures the more of their problems we're going to have. It works that way. The more that we acculturate to the world around us the more of their problems we're going to face and have. I remember as a Young men, going to high school. I went to a Mennonite high school. In those days, they had a problem covering their head. And they eventually completely discontinued covering their head. It wasn't long before they had divorce and remarriage in their congregations. I know this for a fact. I've lived this. I've seen it. I've seen it happen. It's a pattern. And it wasn't long until they had questions about homosexuality in their congregations. It's the pattern. You know, when you start, start adjusting, start acculturating to another culture, you end up facing and experiencing the problems that go with that culture. That doesn't mean we don't have problems. Yeah, we do have problems. We have things we need to deal with. And we try to deal with them within our culture. But culture ultimately must be subject to what? The Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That trumps everything. But as we live our lives, we make applications. We believe in nonconformity. What does that mean? Well, we have... We have mores that we follow that express nonconformity. What does nonresistance mean in our everyday life? We have mores we follow that express nonresistance in our everyday life and those sort of things. So we, we develop a culture based on what we believe the Word of God to say. And my, my, my passion, my, my burden this evening is, is as we go in our culture, as we experience our culture, do we know what we believe and why? If we base what we do simply on what everybody else does, it's, there's, there's a shifting sand under our feet. But if we, if we base what we do on the Word of God, we say because the Word of God says we should be nonconformed, this is how I'm going to live. This is what I'm going to do. Because the Bible, because Proverbs teaches the, the, the evils of alcohol, I'm going to avoid it. Because 1 Corinthians 11 teaches us to cover our heads, I'm going to cover my head. You get what I'm trying to say. That was a burden I have. It really is. I want to challenge you. What are the lines in your life? What are you drawing as lines in your life? Where do you live? What do you believe? And why? If you don't know what you believe and why, you're not going to stand on anything. You're going to shift with the sands of time and the changing culture around us. But if you have lines, you have established foundations in your life, this is what I believe, this is where I'm going to stand you will have something to stand on. And the nice thing is, when we make those kind of commitments, God will keep us, help us to honor those commitments. Like here, these Rechabites. They kept those commitments for 242 years. I think God was in that somehow, don't you? Is, does culture get us to heaven? No, I'm not saying that at all. Does culture make us holy? No. But culture helps us express what the Word of God teaches and says. It's important that we embrace the word of God and allow that to impact our thinking and our culture. And the way we do it is by taking the word of God and saying, because the word of God says thus and so, this is what I'm going to do. Joshua did that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to stand for God. We're going to serve him regardless. Doesn't matter what happens out there. We're going to serve God. We're not going to drift with the sands of time. You may draw lines in different places that somebody else does. But the important thing is that we draw lines. And we face lots of issues today. What do you think of yoga? What do you think of rock music? What do you think of you know, dancing? What do you think of all that stuff, and why? I think it's important for us to face it head on and say, this is why I do it or not. <laughs> this is why I stand on this. And I guess my plea, especially to young people, that you do this as a young person. Establish your lines as a young person. As a young married couple, establish your lines. Where do you stand? What do you believe in, and why? Where are you going to be ten years from now? Drifting with the sands of time, you're going to be standing for truth. You won't be standing for truth ten years from now if you're not doing it now. Really, that's how it is. I've kind of said a mouthful here, tonight and I, I hope you'll forgive me. <laughs> I just felt like I just needed to share my heart here this evening. And I don't know you people. I really don't. I mean, I know you, and yet we really don't. You know, I'm not here that much. I don't really know what you're dealing with and what your issues are. But I'm sure you have them. I'm sure you have things that you think about, things that you're dealing with, things that you're wondering about, things that are important. Uh, one of the assignments I like to give to my church history class at SMBI, I teach early church history. And, of course, we, we, we talk about the, the apologists, Tertullian, Origen, uh, Athanasia, uh, Justin Martyr, all those people, you know. And th- they, they were apologists for their day. They wrote defense defenses of their faith, and they had, they had challenges. So they would write these, these defenses for their faith about all kinds of issues. It's really interesting to read what they wrote. And I'll tell the class, I'll, say, I'll, pick, a, I'll, I'll pick a topic, wedding band. Okay, I say, what do you believe? What does the Bible say about the wedding band? What did the early church fathers say about that? What do you believe? That's my assignment to them. And I'll tell them, it does. I'm not looking for any particular thing. I just want you to, be, to write down something that you believe. I want you to establish your line. Pick yoga, pick rock music, whatever you want to pick. But all those things are important that we make a stand on them. If we don't, we're going to be swept away. We're not going to stand the test of time. And my burden is that we stand the test of time. <clears throat> How should I end this? I don't know. <laughs> you're just looking at me. <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking. <laughs> anybody, think, anybody wants to say? Maybe have a question or something. okay. Well, it's not so much what you got that is wrong, it's the attitude behind it. Okay. It's not what you got that's wrong, it's the attitude behind it. Attitude behind it. Okay. Can you okay yeah
2: i just remember as a boy i had a car my mom and dad they were against it and uh for us as me and my buddy as as far as what we'd do in the evenings we'd go bowling and uh, my parents kind of discouraged me and i said well should I come back home and wear Amish clothes, drive horse and buggy and go to the beer parties? That's what they're doing at home. And I said, we don't do that. So this is what I'm saying. They got a horse and buggy. This is just an example. They got a horse and buggy, but what are they doing? So it, it, my mind goes in, in so many directions. You know, we was talking about wine. They didn't drink wine. But back in, in Timothy, uh, in Timothy uh, was it Saul that told Timothy, Don't drink water only, but drink wine. For your stomach's sake. Because Mm -hmm. you're sick so often, it helps you digest Mm -hmm. your food. See, that's what I'm saying. It's not what you got that is wrong, it's the attitude behind it and what you do with it.
0: Okay, okay. I would say it is important what we do as well. Uh, In that case, you know, wine for your stomach's sake is different than social drinking, for example. Yeah, there are differences. Yeah. Any other comments?
2: I remember my dad, my dad was a preacher, he still is, and there was some things that he wanted us girls to change in his home. And I would say, well, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing at the present time. And he would reply, is it right though? If, they, if it's not wrong, is it right? And I, And what he meant by that, like I thought that, why can't I do it, everybody else is doing it, And he says, this is the way I want you to do it. It's right. And looking back, it was right. There was things that, you know, he wanted me to do. If I wouldn't have done it, I would have ended up in the wrong place. Mm
0: -hmm. He wanted you to draw a line, right? Very good. Daniel did that. You know, before he got to Babylon, what did he decide in his heart? Not to eat the king's meat. When he got to Babylon, had the king's meat, what did he do? Did he eat it? He made an appeal to still achieve the objective that they had for him without him violating his conscience. Excellent. Yeah, any other thoughts?
2: As someone who
0: in my job comes in contact with many, many, many different cultures, I've come to realize that every culture has their rules. Whether they want to admit it or not, they look at me and say, you have all these rules you have to follow.
2: So do you. Um, well in said. order to
0: fit in with that crowd, they have to believe certain things. Well said. So why not stand for what I believe? Because everybody else also believes something and stands for it, whether they continue, I mean, yeah. But every culture has rules. Mm-hmm. You're illustrating how a culture comes in packages. Yep. Very good. Very good. I would love to see you do an assignment. <laughs> I won't do it, though. I would love to see what you would write on a piece of paper saying, these are my lines, this is where I stand. I would love to see that. I would encourage you to do that. In whatever area you're dealing with. It may be one thing today, it may be something else next week or next year. But it's important that you draw lines. Someone there?
1: I w- <clears throat> I would just like to thank you Phil for the evenings you were here and the messages you gave. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you Jesus.
2: Go ahead. culture, we change culture, but God's word doesn't change, so why do we change? I've always wondered that, you know. We change. But God's word never changes. God's word never changes, but why does
0: our culture change? Okay. Yeah, when I was a boy, we had black cars at our church. And that started in 1927, when our bishop at that time helped the church go from buggies to cars. That Weaver Town. And he said, at that time, Henry Ford was producing uh, Model T4s by the hundreds. And guess what? They were all black. They still are. The ones he produced, they're all black. But there were some other car companies that had some other colors. And the fad at that time was not a black car, but something else. And so our wise bishop said, we're going to have transportation with the vehicle, but we're not going to go for fads. We'll have the black ones made a lot of sense. Forty years later, we still had black cars. And we were spending hundreds of dollars to create black cars so we could have communion. And one day we decided, you know, the reason for having black cars is fulfilled. And we changed it. I think culture is is unique in a setting at a certain time in history. And history changes. And life changes. And so I think culture should shift sometimes. It can. But we dare not sacrifice the principle of, in that case, uh, being being frugal and not being fashionable. That was the principle, not being fashionable. And that applies different ways in different times. And we lived in Romania. Their culture was unique. And there were certain things in their culture that spoke to us, you know, that they did. Uh, In fact, when we went there, I thought I was conservative. After I was there a little while, I realized they think I'm liberal. You know why? Because I had money and they didn't. Their definition of conservative liberal had to do with money, how much money you had. So, you know, it's different cultures are different, but ultimately we take the word of God and apply it in our culture and we live it. And we draw lines that help us achieve our objectives. We have an objective be faithful to God. We establish priorities that help us get there. And we follow a schedule that keeps us to our priorities. And we have a daily discipline to keep us in line. I don't know. Anyhow, God bless you. I don't know. What? what you, go ahead, Steve. I close how you see fit.
1: Maybe we